0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch, and I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I hope you're well wherever you're listening to this in the world today. And today, my very special guest is the Leaders Performance Advisor, Rachel Vickery. Rachel is a high-performance consultant, particularly performance under pressure. She has worked with professional teams across sport, the military, and in medicine. She's also a qualified sports physiotherapist and a former international gymnast. And at this point, I want to introduce the woman herself. So, Rachel, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks so much for having me here.
0: No, it's an absolute pleasure, and I hope you're well.
1: I am. Thank you so much.
0: Fantastic. And perhaps without any further ado, we can get into it, really. And I wanted to begin by asking you to outline the potential impact of human stress responses on human performance.
1: Straight into it, hey? <laughs> yeah, so so I think, what, I think it's understanding the human stress response in terms of what that can do from a performance perspective where if it's harnessed really well it gives people the ability to consistently execute when the pressure is really on if people don't understand how their body works under pressure how their mind works under pressure it has the ability to really derail performance so we see things like um, you know poor decision making in high pressure situations we see technique um, the tactical side of sport the technical side of sport really fall apart And we see, you know, situations where people might completely misread their arena of performance, you know, either from a visual perspective or an auditory perspective. And what that will often look like from the outside is, oh, that person can't execute when the pressure is on. But actually it's more related to perhaps that person doesn't understand how they're human threat response you know that physiological threat response we often talk about and I'm sure we'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a second how that can derail performance in terms of from a physical perspective from a mindset perspective emotionally you know all those sorts of things as well.
0: And going back to my introduction how does your role complement those of the athletes coaches or teams that enlist your help?
1: Um, so I'll normally consult into teams or an individual where they're either looking for a performance edge, so perhaps they're already executing exceptionally well, and and like many of our professional teams are looking for, and how do I get better? How do I continually you know, do things better than what I've done previously? Or perhaps as a team or an organization where they, perhaps when the pressure comes on, don't execute to the level of their physical potential. They'll fall short and often fall short consistently in those high pressure moments, so whether that be a grand final, you know, whether it be a, a big trial game for something or those sorts of things, um, so I'll come in and I'll usually work with coaching staff, I'll work with the athletes themselves, and normally try to uh, both educate in terms of an awareness perspective about what might actually be happening, and then giving sort of some you know some strategies and, and and weave what we're doing into existing training training programs.
0: Right, and what are some of the ways that human stress responses can impact upon training? And ultimately, performance. Yeah.
1: So I think, like, if we, so if we step back for just for a second, right, in terms of what is the what is the physiological stress response or the human stress response, you know, and I think just understanding that that is a very normal, hard coded response that almost every human has when they're either outside their comfort zone or when they're in a high pressure situation where perhaps the consequence of what they're about to do is high and so what ends up happening for for, for people in that resp- in that sort of scenario is uh, a number of things will change in terms of, you know, there's this balance between two parts of the nervous system, right the calm nervous system where breathing is nice and controlled, heart rate is nice and controlled, you know, physical movement is relaxed and fluid. And then there's the opposite side of that, which is that it's almost that fight and flight response, right, where heart rate gets faster, you know, we, get, we breathe more shallow, we get a lot more tense, you know, our peripheral awareness starts to shut down. And there's a balance all the time between those two states. And that's what's hard coded into every single one of us as a human. It's very ancient. Um, it's no different from you know the fact that we've got you know two feet and two hands and two eyes. Um, this this physiological threat response or or, or physiological stress response is hard coded into all of us. And so what will happen is is often this playoff between, and that's what I term in easy terminology, I guess, our arousal state there's this balance between where is your arousal state versus your threshold or your red line and every human has a threshold that basically says if my arousal state stays below my threshold or below my red line I can perform in a way that I've got a lot more control of you know I can execute in the way that I've physically prepared to execute and train it but if I if my arousal state crosses my red line that's when we start to see performance start to fall apart you know because either I'm my smart brain goes offline you know so I don't remember the game plan you know or I don't remember or I'm not thinking and making those strategic decisions in the moment that might be the smart decisions or I'll misread the field. If if I'm a field-based athlete, for example, I won't see a player that's wide open left or right to me because my peripheral vision has shut down. Um, You know, I fumble the ball, you know, those sorts of things will happen when, when my arousal state crosses, crosses my red line. Okay. And so it's finding that balance all the time between where is my arousal state relative to my red line. So if I'm coming into a competition or a match or a tournament or whatever, and my arousal state is already hard pressed up against, threshold or up against my red line the normal increase in arousal that i'm then going to have when it's go time you know where it's now okay now i'm really stepping onto the court or the field or on the blocks or whatever it's really normal that in our go time moment our arousal state will always ratchet up one or two notches and we expect that and that's normal because i'm outside my comfort zone but if i don't have buffer between my start point with my arousal state and where my red line is you can imagine that that normal increase is going to shoot me over red line and my performance isn't isn't fantastic if I've got more buffer in the system so to speak so as I come into whether it be practice or my performance moment and I've already got buffer in the system then when I get the normal increase in arousal so I'm still going to feel nervous I'm still going to feel a bit anxious I'm still going to have the butterflies I'm still going to have that response but it's still under control and it's not shooting me Across cross red line does that does that kind of make some sense
0: it so, does make sense yeah so absolutely. then it's like
1: looking at how does that play into you know either practice or training uh, uh, sorry performance or training normally for for most people in a normal training environment there's not normally a high consequence of outcome for training so you won't normally see a lot of these performance issues showing up training which is why athletes can technically and tactically execute a skill so if you take you know an NBA free throw for example you know someone who who might have a really high percentage 77% odd in practice and I've worked with an athlete an NBA athlete where this happened for him in practices his stats were you know high 70s until he got into a game situation and then he was on the line and his his percentage would, would drop to about 22% because now in that game scenario the consequence of him missing or getting it Right, is so much higher than oh, there's no real consequence if I miss that in practice.
0: There's higher consequences. There's isn't higher there?
1: consequence. Absolutely. And so that's why we see those performance issues really only sh- for most people will really show up only in their peak moments of performance. Unless, you know, you've got an athlete or even, you know, we see it with coaching staff as well. If there's a whole lot that's going on for that person in life in general and they're already feeling highly stressed and under pressure because they've just got it might have nothing to do with their sport you know it might be relationship issues it might be a contract year for them it might be you know they've got family stuff they're on the road all the time you know there's all of that other stuff that goes on in life for someone and they're already under the pump and it's the back end of a long season and they've hit that grind and they're you know they're tapped out and all that sort of stuff then we might see some stuff show up in a training environment um, where the athlete's just not there or they make mistakes or you know, whatever, or the coach that just loses it, you know, at the team that day, they just snap and they've just lost it, you know. But more often it's actually when the pressure is so much higher is at, at go time in the, performance, in the performance arena. And that's where the issues might show up there, but that's not normally where the solution has to lay. Does that make sense? So for the NBA player, for example, he didn't need to practice more free throws because there was nothing actually wrong with his free throw in and of itself it was his free throw under pressure, which was the issue for him. So it's learning, and I know we've kind of talked about this a couple of times before, but it's not just the technical tactical side of performance, you know, and I think this is where there's often a misunderstanding or, you know, maybe just even a lack of awareness that if we want a performance, if we want a team that knows how to perform and execute under pressure, let's get good at the technical tactical and there's almost then this, this hope that it's then going to show up as opposed to, you need to know the technical, tactical, and obviously you have to be exceptional at that, but it's a skill in and of itself to then go, and how do I apply that once this physiological threat response kicks in and my timing changes and my breathing changes and my heart rate's higher and my read of my environment changes, how well am I able to adapt and adjust and execute when all of those changes happen?
0: So it sort of goes back to what you've said previously, you don't rise to the occasion, but fall to your training.
1: Yeah, 100%. And if you actually haven't done any work on that, you know, if you haven't done any work on learning to to be uncomfortable and understanding, well, how does my body, how does my timing, how does my biomechanics, how does my thought processes, how does my situational awareness change in those high pressure moments? and more importantly I haven't actually trained for that to go you know when I've lost that fine motor control and I first start warming up or I first start taking that first you know the first shot at at goal or the first you know whatever, the first touch of the ball often when an athlete in particular has hit that high arousal state and they've crossed red line they feel almost this disconnect with their body a little bit it's like I don't feel the same my legs don't feel the same my fine motor control doesn't feel the same my execution of my stroke doesn't feel the same if I'm a swimmer and they will then almost panic with that because then they go oh no I haven't got a strategy to how do I solve that this doesn't feel right and and then they'll spiral negatively down that road right as opposed to if they go oh I'm almost expecting this I know what happens and here's my strategy for how I you know de-escalate my arousal state from that moment they've actually trained to know exactly that you know how do I perform and how do I adapt and how do I change in this pressure moment
0: So on that note, how can you work with coaches or athletes or both really to introduce that level of arousal stimulation in a training session, in an environment where the consequences are not as profound as they would be in competition?
1: I think it's really hard to reproduce that in training, right? And I I think because there's almost that consequence of outcome is you know one of the biggest triggers i guess that will turn up or turn on that human threat response is the fear of the unknown it's uncertainty you know it's when we don't know what the outcome of something is going to be that's one of the biggest things will, that will actually turn on that human threat response it's very primal you know you can imagine as a primal hu- human from thousands of years ago you know if you didn't know that you were going to survive which is basically what that whole threat response is is about it's designed to keep us alive you know and we've moved on very, obviously, in the last couple of thousand years, it's a very different environment that we live in, but our primal hard coding is still exactly the same, right? So anytime we're not certain what the outcome of something is going to be, on goes that threat response. In training and practice, it's very hard to reproduce that level of uncertainty coupled with consequence of outcome. Does that make some sense? It does and make so sense those indeed. two big things, put those two together, that's where we see that arousal state really step up. I think in terms of what can you do about it, I think what I've seen consistently is actually educating or just bringing to awareness either to coaches or to athletes or, or both I guess really understanding what the physiological threat response that human threat response actually is that it's not in their head they're not going crazy do you know what I mean it's like actually when this happens when it's go time when you're outside your comfort zone when there's that uncertainty and that that unknown These are the things that will happen. You know, heart rate, biomechanics, timing, decision making. You know, situational awareness. All those same pieces that we've just talked about. Right? This is really normal that that happens because what happens is without that awareness, an athlete will look around often at their teammates and they'll go, "Oh, everybody else looks like they're all calm and they've all got it together, and I'm the one who's a feeling all this, and then I'm making the mistakes. I I mustn't be cut out for this." But they don't because we don't talk about it or we don't have an awareness of it often for our athletes, they will then go, Oh, it's either in my head, and that must mean I'm mentally weak, or we don't even talk about it from an awareness perspective, which means I don't know how to find a solution to that. It's almost like, Well and we when we see teams that'll do this often negatively, it's like, well let's just put someone in the environment multiple times and hope that they eventually get comfortable in high pressure games, and eventually they'll work it out. Does it, you understand what I'm saying It doesn't that? sound
0: very efficient though.
1: It's not particularly efficient. So you might get, you know, 10, 15% of, of people who naturally thrive under pressure. They go, they've just naturally worked it out. That's just, that's just their skill set, you know. But what about that, you know, another 40, 50% of athletes who actually might've been great, had they actually been given the skills to go, ah, oh, here's how I handle pressure. Here's how I de-escalate my arousal state in that moment. Here's how I ground myself. Here's how I also front-load strategies so that when I come into my performance arena, I'm, my, my arousal state or my, you know, is not already approximating my red line. I've actually got a, a, a lot of buffer in that
0: system. And how important are their peers, their teammates, and does that differ from an individual sport versus a team sport?
1: Oh, that's a great question because that can work on that can work both ways, right? From as an individual sport, obviously you are more reliant on your ability to perform. You know, it's like you can't hide behind your teammates. You know, it's all on you, right? But I think as the benefit of that, you possibly are more aware of and, and more self-aware or, or do a lot more work on how do I learn how to perform under pressure? Because that's what, it's all on me, you know? Um, I think in a team sport, the negative side of that, you can hide behind your peers. It's like, ah, oh, you know, if... Um, they bring their A game, or if I'm a little bit off today, it doesn't matter because my teammates can, you know, they'll pick up the slack, so to speak. Um, the positive of that is that you've also got teammates who can actually recognize perhaps, hey, you're, you're redlining, you know, I'm seeing that you're starting to you, you get a bit tight, or you're just, you're almost panicking. And you'll see it particularly in team sports, you can almost see the difference between a team where they are in flow state, where everything is working right versus a team that crosses that red line and then you see it's almost that panic and it it becomes almost a contagion where someone starts making a mistake and then they start to Mm, second guess or hesitate or tighten up as a result of that because there's that fear of I've already made a mistake I don't want to make another mistake and then uh, in the past thinking about the mistake they just made they're not actually moving forward in terms of going okay well how do I now just move and execute forward does that make sense so then because they're thinking in the past they then make another mistake and then they make another mistake and then their teammates start to go oh no we've now lost you know um, we've had points scored against us And, and that can start to negatively spiral in that way. Um, I've seen teams where perhaps uh, on the sideline you know while they've been waiting to go on they might be on the bench and there might be a coach who's also you know sidelined with them where if there's a couple of bad calls against them from a ref you know or mistakes are happening on 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 fields and then there's a substitution then a player will take the field, you know, if the if the sideline coach has been abusive and you know abusive at the ref or against the call or expressing venting frustration about the player making a mistake or whatever, um, and we hear that sideline right, the the coaches that'll abuse the either the ref or the or the player. The next player that then goes onto the field or onto the court is actually carrying that same energy of frustration out onto the court because they've got caught up in that. So that's when another mistake will happen often as well because that player's gone in and almost in that vibe or that energy of frustration about what's not working or oh I I was going to swear on your podcast. Oh shoot! You know, um, you know, there's a we've now we're now ten points down. We've got to do something about that, and then and then again they they tighten up and they second guess. Um, so that can work negatively again if there's not an awareness or a strategy. Go ah, oh, we've recognised that we've hit red line. You know, and what do we need to do? Just say to each other, "Hey, you know, we've got this. We're all good." What's my next? And I talk about it as a, a forward-moving action rather than retrospectively what's happened in the game up to that point, which is almost irrelevant because you can do nothing about it. You know, um, it's it's about what do I do right now to keep moving myself forward and to change the momentum of moving towards success rather than worrying about the failure that we've just made there's plenty of time you know after the game or when you know there'll be an appropriate time to do a hot wash or debrief on the mistakes that happened you know but right in the middle of the game when emotion's already high the energy is already high we've already got athletes that are at red line anyway because it's the performance environment you know th- that timing of that really critical feedback and how that communication is given um, in terms of you know tone of voice in terms of the words that are chosen you know at halftime um, the difference between a coach coming in if there's a team down for example because they've made a lot of mistakes or the pressure's got to them uh, a performance isn't going so well the difference a coach can make whether they come in and they tear strips off the team and they abuse them and they really try to give them a kick up the backside and you know all of that sort of stuff or A coach that can actually just walk in in control of their own arousal state you know calm they're not taking out their frustration on the team and then just being able to communicate very clearly and very calmly I guess for want of a better word and I'm not talking you know crystals and rainbows and unicorns but just that ability to go okay I need to calmly communicate instruction for how we're going to move forward from here does that make sense? The difference in their coaching style at halftime can make the difference between whether a team continues to spiral and can't pull themselves back. Because if you've already got a team that's crossed red line, yelling at them and abusing them and telling them about all the mistakes that they've just made isn't going to actually help them solve the problem of how do we actually win the game from here versus a coach that can come in really calm, actually has the players feel really calm. Here's a concise, clear course of action to move forward. Here's our plan of execution for the next half can really turn a team around. And I've seen it happen over and over again.
0: So part of it really is about acceptance of what's gone wrong, what's just happened, accepting that reality and then pivoting in order to achieve the next step.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's gotta be it's gotta be looking forward, right?
0: Are there any other factors at play that we haven't spoken about yet, whether it be the coaches themselves or the type of training or the opponent? You mentioned before, Rachel, about the impact of an athlete's life outside mm. of sport, perhaps having mm. an impact, a and huge effect.
1: impact, yeah. And and I'd say probably in the in the you know fifteen odd years that I've been working in this space, and then also from personal experience, and then just you know conversations with many many people in all sorts of performance arenas, so not just sport, you know, elite military and medicine, is we see a really consistent theme, I guess, that it's very seldom, you know, performance under pressure is and the ability to perform under pressure is less to do with what actually happens in the moment of pressure. And it's so much more to do with whatever's going on for that person everywhere else in life. And in, and if I give you a, a really quick analogy, I guess that a lot of the listeners will probably recognize really well is if, you know, you're driving into, into work in the morning, you know, and uh, an idiot cuts you off in the traffic, you know, and you have that ability to just be really calm with that you know say oh you know whatever like you might have that initial you know f- um, flame of frustration but it dies down pretty fast right versus if you completely lose it you know at that driver you know and you get really angry and frustrated and you vent you know your ability to respond in those two different ways is less to do with the driver actually cutting you off in traffic and if you think about your response to that you know if you're If life's all good, you know, and you're pretty calm and you had a great night's sleep and you're just feeling good about life, you're going to have that calmer response versus, you know, if you've had a really poor sleep, you're running late, you've just had an argument with your spouse, you know, you're coming into work that day going, am I going to still have a job or not? You know, you're going to respond probably more likely and vent your frustration. Does that make sense? So it's not the driver cutting you off in traffic. It's what's going on for you in life that's usually going to determine your reaction to when that inconvenience happens. Do you understand that analogy? It does make sense. Yeah, and so absolutely. and so performance if off, you know, in our performance arenas is exactly the same. You know, have I got buffer in my system that says if things go wrong, if I make a mistake, I can respond and react to that really like it's no problem and I've got a, a way to move forward from that versus, you know, the the scenario that we talked about where it was like, ah, you know, contract and and girl issues and, you know traveling and being on the road and all of that sort of stuff that's and that's where more of the work needs to get done I think and where teams are starting to think about the performance under pressure is how do we give athletes an awareness of some strategies they can deploy in the moment of pressure when I actually am working with groups and again the consistency between medicine and military and sport because it's human beings doing the performing, you know, so it's the human factors that are actually the consistent thing with that, is it's always when we start talking about the other stuff, you know, the the fear of not being good enough, the fear of what other people think, the uncertainty, you know, the life issues because I've got you know, bills to pay and I've got, you know, kids to get off to school and, you know, I've got all of that stuff going on. You know, my sleep's really poor. My, I'm having way too much caffeine in my diet because I'm not sleeping enough, so I'm trying to counter that with a lot of caffeine. Um, you know, imposter syndrome is a, is a big one, particularly for our high performance. There's this big list of things that will typically feed into, over time, someone's arousal state getting getting higher and higher and higher so that then when they step into their their performance arena, And as we talked about, they get that increase in arousal state from go moment. That's the thing that pushes them over the edge versus if they've done work on all of that other front loaded stuff, they've kind of got life squared away. You know, they try to optimize their sleep as best as they can. They eat as clean as they can. You know, they're not... um, Sleep deprived as best as possible. You know, obviously, uh, you know, there's we've got to be realistic with some of that. People are doing the work on their self awareness. They know themselves really well. They're in control of their their monkey mind. You know that that chatter, chatter, chatter in the head constantly. You know that that just doesn't shut up. Or they're aware of the fact that uncertainty uh, is such a trigger for that threat response. You know, just that awareness of all of those pieces and doing some work in that space is usually where the biggest uh, gains in the ability to perform and execute under pressure is um and as I was just starting to say the recognition that whether it be a coach whether it be an athlete you know whether it be an elite military operator you know when we actually start talking about this and they go oh that is actually the stuff you know the life stuff that's the stuff that is really going on for me that just causes me to not perform well in those pressure moments as opposed to the fear of my performance arena itself or anxiety or whatever because that's people's comfort zone their performance arena is actually their comfort zone you know that's where they know how to execute and perform really well.
0: I imagine as well that people's ability in this space fluctuates. There might be an occasion where you can actually employ these strategies to your satisfaction because everything's going well in your life or in your training or in everything related to your performance that day. However, there could be a time six months from now where you're not able to execute quite as effectively as you would like to, right?
1: Yeah, and and that's the difference between teams and organizations who have strategically and intentionally gone, we need to learn how to execute under pressure versus that hope strategy that we were talking about before, because often what we'll see is at the beginning of a season, you know, when everything's good, everyone's, you know, they've got emotional resilience, mental resilience, you know, it's, they've come off the back of, you know, pre-season, they're ready to go. They're almost that that, uh, anticipation, excitement to get into the season. you know, people generally perform quite well, you know, because they're fresh, right? And there's not a high consequence of outcome with that versus at the back end of a season when now the grind's been kicking in for the last six months, we've had some wins and losses. You know, every game is now really counting as to whether we end up in finals or not. You know, we've been on the road, we've been away from our families, you know, there's, and, and there's, that played out over six months versus maybe just a week at the beginning of a season. That is really going to have a consequence. Now, if you've planned for that, if you understand how that impacts performance, you've actually created some strategies around optimizing that so that the back end of the season, which funnily enough, is actually where the most pressure is, you know, especially if you're a team that's vying for finals, you know, you want to know that by the time you get to that grand final, you're not just empty and exhausted and in inverted commas, hoping that your team can perform in the grand final you've anticipated and you've built buffer in uh, the whole way through the season, understanding that the pressure is going to be escalating through season, you know, that arousal state's getting closer and closer to red line, just as a consequence of all of those things we've just talked about. Um, So you've actually got a plan to, to how you're going to handle that. And that's that understanding, when you understand how the threat response works, when you understand what feeds into what escalates the arousal state, and that as long as I can manipulate that buffer between my arousal state and my threshold, then you can learn strategies through season to either go, okay, well if I've crossed, if my arousal state's cross red line, what is my immediate? I call it a get out of jail card. You know what I immediately do in this moment to to know that okay I'm real I'm redlining. You know, then there's strategies to go well how do I actually push my threshold out? You know so that I've I'm more comfortable in these uncomfortable situations. And then there's the whole front loader strategy to go how do we put buffer into the system in the first place? So with it, those understandings, I guess, of those three key strategies, you do some work around that so that exactly to your point, if, if, if life's all good and you're going well, you probably don't need any of them, right? But if you start to get to a point where it's like, yeah, life's got a bit out of control and things are really starting to escalate, you go, cool, all I have to do is deploy these strategies. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you have to just react to what you're getting in terms of stress and arousal state and all those sorts of things.
0: And it sounds like the situation is realistic as well. You would encourage athletes, coaches, whoever it may be, to actually take a realistic view. So they may be trying to employ some of the strategies that you've worked with them on. And they may say, okay, today... I employed those strategies and I would give myself seven out of 10. I don't know if they use that sort of language, but mm. I didn't quite do it to the level that I wanted to do. There is space there. But you're not looking for perfection as such, are mm. you? It's it's always a journey. It's always a process, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. Especially in a team sport where there's so much that's outside of your control. It's, I think it's different if it's in an individual sport where, um, you know, I think of a sport like gymnastics, you know, my background, where where I haven't got an opponent trying to knock me off the beam. Do you know what I mean? Like my performance is totally reliant on my ability to execute as opposed to a team sport where there's a whole other dynamic of what's going on. So that in and of itself brings a lot of uncertainty that you can't train or practice for, you know, but coming back to, I think one of your original points is how do you perhaps, you know, what are some things you can do in training or practice is throw uncertainty into the mix in, in in practice and in training you know often coaches will give training drills and in inverted commas where the players know exactly what's coming you know or or, or the even if they're doing some open play for, for practice they're still against their teammates that so they know their style of play you know but it's not being afraid to throw uncertainty into the mix and knock people off the game in training so they just to learn how do i adapt and and change with it and i think perfection is is a it just crushes performance it actually adds a whole lot more pressure in and of itself when you're aiming for perfection as an as opposed to aiming for excellence which is hey this is open ended you know and it actually even with that when we're looking at optimizing performance in high pressure situations if someone is very focused on the outcome of something you know we've got to win this game right or if it's a swimmer i have to make this time to qualify for an event or i have to score this many points or whatever as soon as the brain goes to that I've actually set something up that I might fail at and as soon as I've actually set up a situation that I might fail at that turns on the threat response right so if it's like oh we've got to win this game we've got to win this chance if we don't win this game we get relegated or if this doesn't happen we lose sponsorship you know as soon as there's a something I might fail at and I frame it in that way in my mind threat response turns on Okay, arousal state gets even closer to red line. I've got even less buffer in the system. But if I can somehow flip that in my mind to curiosity, you know, I wonder how well I can play today. I wonder how fast I can swim today. I wonder how, how cleanly I can execute this particular thing. Curiosity actually is a, you know, as a, as a primal human, that opens the door to awesome performance because there's no threat in that you even just you can hear that in the different language right when I say oh we've got to win a game versus I wonder how well we can execute this particular thing and if you execute the thing and you handle that business you've actually set yourself up with the best chance that you're going to get the successful outcome that you want but you haven't layered all of that pressure in inverted commas that will just actually tighten up play and tighten up decision making and tighten up you know that situational awareness i just came off the back of running a course with an elite military unit um and for obvious reasons i can't talk too much about you of know course. what we did <laughs> um but it was it, even in that situation as i say to the guys it, it you know it was taught them some skills did a couple of days doing some of those sorts of things and then we ran some some drills and some exercises with them and there's two things with that situation one was i said to them i have zero expectation that you know 48 hours off the back of me teaching you some of these skills and, and awareness of what happens and you know timing and those sorts of things that we shoot you straight to the pointy end of execution for you and expect that you're going to be able to you know put those that new knowledge straight into your highest point of ar- arousal basically apart from a live you know real life situation for them um imagine a pyramid you know we've gone straight to the point the top end of the pyramid and gone ex- execute these brand new skills right at the top in your performance arena we would never do that with an athlete and go we're going to teach you something in in training let you do it kind of once talk about it and then expect that you can actually deliver it cleanly in a game situation just off talking about it in a team room does that make sense normally you'd talk about it in the team room but then you'd actually put it into training and practice and let them play with it and and gradually you know eventually you you might get to a point where it just happens automatically in the game for them I think also in the moment of pressure, the last thing you've actually got time to think about really is how am I gonna deploy these techniques, right? About handling pressure. It has to be so automatic for you because of the front loaded training that you've done, right, um, in practice, in training, in life away from that. So that by the time you get into that moment of pressure, maybe there's one technique that if you know you've crossed red line, you go, yep, that is my one technique to pull myself back under red line. Um, but you know, I often talk about you know if you know the difference between fixing broken versus creating awesome. You know, you don't need to get out of jail card if you haven't ended up in jail in the first place. So I think there is this thing about performance under pressure is less about what happens in the moment in pre- you know the moment of pressure. It's more about what have you what have you done you know everywhere else that's that's led you into that moment.
0: When you're working with athletes and coaches, how useful? as a learning and education tool is past performance and is past failure more or less useful than past success?
1: Mm, Great question I think it depends on how you reflect on the past failure generally I, I mean I think there's a lot to be learned from the past success right where it's like okay well how did we create that especially if you can actually look at past success through the same lens almost that you would through past failure whereas you go rather than just oh that's we won because we're good you know which can sometimes happen right I've seen teams that will often get to a back end of a season where there's momentum just for a whole lot of scenarios that perhaps nothing to do with how good they are they just happen to have won a whole lot of games that can sometimes get misinterpreted as oh we know how to handle pressure because look at our track record right so that can actually be misleading where they'll go through a season not understanding that they actually need to learn how to handle pressure or whatever. Not because they actually know how to handle pressure, but just because they've won games. Does it, do you understand the difference with that? Absolutely. Yep. Um, but so I think it's also important with success to go, what was it? Why did we succeed? Did we succeed because, you know, just, yeah, I guess pulling it apart. I don't want to go too down, too far down that road, but I think the, Learning from failure is great, especially when it's done through the lens of, I mean, I think most of our growth comes from when we fail at things, right? Because it's like, oh, how do I get better so that that doesn't happen again? But what I've sometimes seen teams do when they're looking at footage perhaps of mistakes that get made, or whether it be micro, you know, a particular part of play and one, one or two players, or the macro, the whole game and the whole team, is it's easy to watch film back and go, what would you do next time? You know, or if you had that, if you had that scenario over again, what would you actually do differently? You know, and often retrospectively out of the heat of the moment when there's not all of those other variables that we talked about around situational awareness, decision-making offline, you know, all of those things, right? Is it's easy when you watch film back to go, oh, I would have passed to that player, or I would have done this play, or I would have done this thing. And that's helpful, but there's a a deeper layer of conversation to then be had around that is to go, but why in that moment, what was missing from your skill set that didn't allow you to see that player or, or that caused you to make that decision, right? So it's not just what would you do differently, it's what was missing from your toolkit on that particular day when you chose option A that made you choose option A because often that's where the work needs to get done, right? Is when a player or an athlete can go, oh, I actually literally didn't see that player out to my right. Okay, well, why didn't you see that player? Because their peripheral vision had shut down, right? Does that, does that kind of make some sense? It does make sense, Otherwise, yeah. otherwise if you watch film, it's easy to go, oh, well, what would you do next time? Oh, of course I'd, I'd pass it to John out to my right because when I'm watching it on film, I can see John was out to my right. But in the moment of pressure when my head's in the washing machine and I've lost my peripheral vision and I've lost some of my auditory awareness and my smart decision brain's gone offline... I didn't even know you were out there so i didn't know that you were an option for me to pass to in that moment so the work actually isn't oh i'd pass to john next time it's like okay how do we train you so that you are calmer in that moment so your peripheral vision is online your decision making is still smart you know your auditory awareness is there but that takes working on that in practice and training and understanding what can happen in that moment rather than you know trying to solve that in the moment of you know what happened
0: with that training with that exposure with the mind going to that place where the athlete is thinking about these issues and and this topic Mm. do you find that they develop a level of sophisticated thinking about it of their own do they start to adopt certain vocabulary when they're having conversations with you in what way so are they able to articulate their thoughts and feelings what happened in the moment in a more Particular way, i guess
1: yeah absolutely but i think we only get there when we actually talk about you know like we have this conversation with teams right right from, and usually one of the very first conversations i'll have when we come into a team environment is we just talk about the physiological stress response and we park it in that box right this is a almost a kick-ass performance strategy not something that's in your head right because so many of our alpha performers are, i think you know, this whole performance under pressure, if that's parked in the box of psychology, a lot of performers don't really want to look at that because by default that must mean I'm mentally weak, right? And there's some, you know, I think making progress in that and let's park that in a box and not have that conversation in this podcast, right? But there's, there's still too many alpha performers that... Uh, st- still see that as a, as a weakness whereas we, when we park in the hey this is a physical response this is physiology this is biomechanics this is it's so much more tangible for athletes and physical performance staff because it's still in that realm of physical performance and physical optimization it's not any of this sort of in inverted commas soft skill stuff that some people still aren't willing to want to look at all right so we'll come in and we'll just talk about this what is the physiological stress response or the you know human threat response? How does it change performance? How does it show up? All those sorts of things actually give some awareness to that. Then when players are debriefing and looking at what's feeding into their performance not working so well, that is even in their realm of being able to look at their performance through that filter and they go, oh, this is why that's happening, right? But if we don't even have that conversation, they don't want to look at it or they don't want to, that it's almost like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation or say that I you know, I didn't even think about the fact that I couldn't see that player or that my smart brain went offline or whatever because they don't even know that that might be a thing for them. They think that they're the only person experiencing that. Whereas when I do a workshop and I'll go through stuff with people and it's like, okay, who experiences this stuff? Every hand goes up, every hand consistently. you know. And I think that in and of itself is really freeing for teams whether that be coaching staff or you know the elite military guys or whatever, because they think that they're the only person that's experiencing it. When they see all of their other teammates or you know whoever coaching staff also identify with, I experienced this stuff. It just normalizes it straight off the bat. So it's like, cool, everyone experiences this. So more importantly, then how if we just accept that that's normal, then we can actually start to have the conversations about awesome. So how do we optimize this? If we don't even have a conversation, that says this is really normal and this is what happens to people in you know high pressure high stress high consequence scenarios then we can't actually look for those ways to optimize that
0: and how satisfying is it for you to see their progress when you work with a team
1: oh it's amazing it really is you know and and you just and and you see i think there's two layers is is it's not just about the consistent performance i mean everyone wants to win championships right so that's that's cool but I think it's as you see those teams or those players or the coaching staff or whoever it is that they start to understand themselves so much better about how do I actually navigate performance under pressure because that's where the longevity for careers comes from too you know I mean high performance sport it's a taxing environment that we work in you know so there's the season consequence of high pressure environments and then there's the career consequence of high pressure environments you know and and those two things are um you know separate but very very related as well um but yeah it's really cool when you see those athletes go they have those aha moments you know it's like ah oh, and they crack it and they'll go for someone who's very inconsistent under pressure versus someone who goes ah oh, now I've actually got a strategy I've got I can intentionally and strategically set myself up so I know within, you know, a little bit of buffer, to your point earlier, you know, there's a lot of variables, sometimes I'm more up than I'm not, but within a tighter, um, I guess, you know, um, framework, I've got control of my arousal state, and where I need to navigate that, and how I show up, as opposed to it's almost left completely to chance, and I'm just reactive to, and I've got no way to control that, and I hope that, this particular day it's going to show up versus not, you know, it's, that that's the cool part.
0: One final area I really wanted to touch upon today, and that is mm. the future. How do you see this space evolving in the next few years?
1: Mm. I think there's a lot more awareness now that this is even a thing, you know, there's more teams, there's more organizations saying, how do we, how do we get good at, performance under pressure you know it's one of the i guess it's a it's a recent buzzword or it's a, a theme now that's like i think a lot of teams are going yeah we're, we're pretty good at the technical tactical now um and the performance gains that we can make in optimizing the technical tactical you know there's only so many ways to run laps so to speak you know so so the performance gains and in, in, in making those tweaks there i think a lot of organizations and teams are going, yeah we, we still need to keep honing that craft but there's this whole big game changer area of performance under pressure and i think more teams are starting to become aware that it's even a thing and that we can do something about it i think there's still a whole lot of work still to be done on acceptance particularly from perhaps coaching staff executive teams do you know what i mean more the the peripherals you know the athletes i think because they live it they know how they feel under pressure you know i remember when i was a gymnast and you know that feeling and more importantly you know what feeds into that as to whether you could perform or not you know and again usually it had nothing to do with that move I was about to do onto the beam it was everything to do with the consequence of you know what's the coach going to say if I fall you know is this a big competition or not a big competition you know how am I feeling about myself you know all that life stuff again you know I um, so I think the athletes have such an different understanding and awareness that it needs to get solved i think those more peripheral you know coaching staff executive teams leadership to go yeah this is a a, an area that we know we actually want to invest in and we're going to take it seriously we're not just going to pay lip service to it and how that then needs to get lived out is coaches actually learning the same skills and strategies around them learning how to control their arousal state and handle pressure and execute under pressure because if they're saying to the athletes, "Hey, this is work that you guys need to do." And yet the coaches aren't doing that work themselves and then they, you know, they lose it at halftime, do you know what I mean? There's almost that hang on a sec. It's obviously not that important if you're not doing the work yourselves but you're asking us to do it or all the work that the athletes do, you know, and it, it gets derailed by the coach that, you know, doesn't know how to handle their own arousal state and just completely loses it at the team.
0: So all in all, are you optimistic?
1: Very. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Vickery, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, John.